0: Helen Beatty, Helen has been around for a long time in our association of churches. And I'm not going to share it right now, but if you want to know how she has directly impacted the vast majority of our churches, ask me in the fellowship. It was a suggestion she made over 30 years ago. We were messing up, and she got it turned around, and I would love to share that with you. But I got other things on my agenda right now. But we love you and thank you for being here. Wonderful. My name is Douglas Jacoby. I don't work for the church, but I am a beneficiary of your uh, generosity. And because of that, beginning of this message, the message slot, I wanted to share some news about uh, the ministry. And. That is the sermon title to come, but we're going to get there in a few minutes. So, please understand that if you're a guest here today, this is not the normal beginning of a message. Uh, We may have to do this manually because I'm getting nothing. Okay. We also project it in the back the way we normally do so I don't have to keep turning around. That would be it. You guys don't know that but they project the words to the songs on the back wall. So you can kind of turn around 90 degrees, smile at your friends, and look up there. Your friends will think you know all the words, but you just right above, okay. So this is my update. This is my song. <laughs> oh, happy to see you up there. Well, we could do it in a manual advance. Okay, that's good. I already said that. Okay, update. This year so far, I've been in Jackson Town uh, consulting with the elders. i in Washington visiting and, and trying to encourage the guys in the teaching ministry there and also had a chance to preach, which is really fun. I was in Toronto a couple weeks ago, had a debate with a sheikh, um, Shabir Ali, to violence really cool. if you would like to watch that, you can. It's online. I got back from Nashville a couple days ago. It was a kind of a special conference. It was called a red, uh, it says red book launch. That's so funny. Morgan James is the company. It's not a red book launch. Uh, I'm not a communist, nor have I ever been a member of the communist party. It's a red carpet book launch. So there are 25 of us authors. and We're being filmed TV and all that kind of cool stuff. So there I am smiling. That's me. That's, that's uh, that new book. In the first quarter, the Exodus book also came out uh, after three years of promising it. Uh, in the next few weeks, I'll be in Houston, actually this month, for a science conference, which will be a blast. Then I'll be heading to uh, Canada, to the beautiful city of Calgary, which is famous for stampedes and oil and things like that. If you're geographically challenged, it's right there. See? Calgary. <laughs> In April and June, I got the opportunity to go to Africa. And once again, this is, North River gives a a donation to my travel budget each month. And that helps me to go to places like Africa or Middle Middle East or South America. And I don't have to charge. And so I'll be in Orlando at the beginning of that trip for the Unboxed Conference. And then to Ghana uh, uh, to speak to our sister church in Accra and also in Kumasi. In June, it's off to Lusaka. From Zambia, I'll be in a couple places in South Africa. In between May, I'll be in Brazil, Sao Paulo, and also Salvador. So these are things that are coming up fairly soon. Um, and then after that, it'll be Israel. Uh, Knoxville and Chattanooga, we need to nail it down into some other Southeast cities. September to November is not arranged yet. But this year, it's a little less travel than normal, but probably 12 countries and 12 cities in the US. I'm slowing down. It's not so much the old age, although that is definitely part of it. This weekend, as Jeff mentioned, and I appreciate that, Jeff, we had the Atlantic School of uh, Missions, Athens Institute of Ministry. I taught with my fellow teacher colleague, Joey Harris, and also Rabbi Elon Feldman from Congregation Beth Yaakov right here in Atlanta. If you'd like to know what he said, and he was cool because he was very real in what he shared in candor, he shared, frankly, about Judaism um, and, and about Christianity and what he sees. And that's up at the AIM website. Apparently, that's going to— Joey said he was going to put it up there if you'd like to watch it. So that's been going on. These are some of the developments. And I don't normally do this. Well, actually, I normally do do this, but I'm going to doing this for a bit longer. I would love for you to sign up for my weekly newsletter. Uh, probably only 5% of you receive it, but every week— there's news like this. Uh, there's Bible study. Uh, just this year so far, we've been examining subjects like this, uh, the things you see up there. It's free. Please sign up at the website, easiest pie. It comes out every Wednesday. And once again, let me just say thanks to North River for your generosity in helping my ministry around the world. Most of what I do is not in the U.S. I get that. It would be difficult to do this without you. You're a big part of that. And now we've come to the sermon part. When I look on the back wall, all I see is, oh, happy day, oh, happy day, oh, happy day. So I guess it's just going to be a reminder to me to smile. All right. I got it. How I come across, right? At the red carpet launch, they said 55% of your impact is the visual. They said 37% is just the sound of you and the content is like zero. Well, (laughs) content is really all I care about. So, this title, Jesus misquoted, was a little bit unusual. I didn't choose it. It was given unto me. No, it was given to me. Given unto me would sound like the Spirit did it, and I don't think that's what happened. But there is a famous New Testament scholar and atheist named Bart Ehrman. He actually lost his faith in seminary, uh, wouldn't be the first, and he wrote a book called Misquoting Jesus. And so, I think the title probably comes uh, from that indirectly. In the lead up to Easter, which is coming soon, just a few weeks. It's in April. Oh, happy day. He is risen. We will see a greater than normal interest in Jesus of Nazareth if you go to Discovery Channel, History Channel, National Geographic, even CNN. There are all these series. They want to examine everything about him, like, you know, what was his diet? Uh, Was he a real person even? What did he teach? Was he the same as the Buddha? They bring up all these things knowing that the public has very few answers, have not really studied. And so I think it's kind of a mixed bag. Um, Focusing on Jesus in that way can spark interest, and that's a great thing. But it also, I think, kind of trivializes Jesus in some ways. It could even serve to inoculate. But as as we approach Easter, this is a great time to start Easter-type conversations because people still watch TV and they will have been uh, affected by by many of these things, even if they're inoculated. Well, Jesus misquoted. Quoting is an interesting thing. It's easier to misquote someone than to quote them, right? Uh, Just like it's easier to mess up a joke than to tell it right, right? So quoting or misquoting, what kind of misquoting do we find when it comes to Jesus Christ? Well, I'm just going to give you a few quick examples because this is just the intro. We've got to get into the beefy part. Sometimes it might be an incorrect recollection. You know, blessed are those who give, for they shall receive. Well, that's not exactly what he said. I mean, he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. That's in Acts 20. Maybe it's an incorrect attribution. You know, Jesus said, even if if I die, even if God doesn't save me, even if you threw me into a blazing furnace, I'm still going to do what's right. Well, that's good, and that's inspiring, it's biblical, but that wasn't Jesus. You're thinking of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3. Sometimes the words are right, but they're kind of misappropriated. It's true, Jesus did say in one place, I didn't come to judge the world, but to save it. But not to finish the sentence or look at the context, leaves the impression that, oh, I see that message of judgment came from the church, not from Jesus, which is not true at all. It's just that in his earthly ministry at this point, he did not, he had not come to judge, but basically to train and to die, to help his apostles, to establish uh, the, the, the church. He did come, he will come to judge, but that's the second coming, not the first coming, But you can bet on it, the average person isn't distinguishing the comings any more than they're distinguishing the Testaments. The Bible says this here, that there, and we're not aware of the need to slow down and, and consider context. There are occasionally mistranslations, very rare in the Bible. It doesn't really mean, do a whole lot. Like, did Jesus really say that you should be a forceful man? Because the Greek kind of makes it sound like a violent man, but way too many husbands have said, I'm just being forceful, honey. No, you're being a bully. No, I'm being forceful. Matthew 11:12 12 justifies my behavior. And then a last and final kind of a misrepresentation is just fiction. Not in the first century, but in the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth century, and maybe even the seventh century, all kinds of stories were made up about Jesus. They're not in the Bible. They were never in the Bible because the Bible was finished in the first century. But these are things like Jesus. As soon as he was born, he was talking. He's in the cradle. He's talking. Oh, you'll find stories like that in Islam. As soon as Muhammad was not in the Quran, not in the Quran though. But as soon as Muhammad was born, he reached down, he grabbed some dirt, he threw it up, and he said, "Allahu Akbar." Uh, the Buddha, again, in later centuries, it becomes mythology. And so, Buddha was talking from the time he was born. So you hear things like that, or at the time Jesus was a real prankster, quite disrespectful towards his father and all of his teachers, since he knew more than them. And he would do things like make birds out of clay, and then not to get caught, he would turn them into real birds, and the evidence would fly off. Or like in the Gospel of Philip, so-called, Mary Magdalene has more insight than all the other disciples, and she has that special relationship with Jesus, and he used to often kiss her on the lips. And again, people say, who took that out of the Bible? It was never in the Bible. This is fan fiction. You get a theme, you want to expand a bit, it's fan fiction. That's all the so-called apocryphal gospels and acts and letters and so forth. Well, have you ever seen a sign like this at a sporting event? I have no comment on the giants. I'm looking at the Scripture part of the message. This... Is probably the most prominently featured at sports events, though it's no longer the most quoted verse of the Bible. That changed probably about 10 years ago. You know, John 3.16 is about God's love. He loved us so much that he sent Jesus. It's not about us. The point of that passage is not about how to uh, be saved by faith. I mean, yeah, faith is part of it, but if you want, want to know how to be saved, you can't just read John 3.16. You need to read John 3, because then you'll find faith and repentance and baptism. It's all in there. You can't just pull out the easy part and say, yeah, I'll take that. I'll ignore the rest of the menu. So John 3.16 is really a passage more about God. We make it about us and our rights and our thrills, and that's not cool. Another very commonly uh, misused, and I would say misquoted verse, is it's in Mark 11 where Jesus says, whatever you ask for in faith, believe that you already received it, and it's yours. What? So if I prayed for money, I already received it, then it would already be in my pocket. Wow, it's there. Okay. That is what is uh, called name it and claim it. It's a heavy part of prosperity theology, what's called prosperity preaching that basically mind over matter. If you believe it, you can change the nature of reality. Or in the New Age movement, if you really believe it, you can make the world go your way. You get just the right vibration, the right aura, and the right mindfulness, and the universe will kind of reshape itself around you to give you what you want. This theme, it's not logical. It's not defensible scientifically at all, but it's crept into many churches. In fact, almost the majority now of Bible churches, churches where they bring the Bible to church, uh, are, are taken in by this. Uh, focus on thrills, signs and wonders. You know, this is, this is how we know uh, uh, God is with us. He does things for us. Where is the message of the cross? It's gone. And this uh, health and wealth uh, gospel is... It's not generous, it's, it's not selfless, it's not Christ-like. It's just greedy. It's the opposite of the generous spirit that we should have. But then there's another message, another quote. Can you tell what it is? Judge not. Okay, that's a pretty clever image I grabbed from the internet. Okay, well, you see, this is now the most quoted verse in the Bible. And I think it shows us something about our age, about that is our, our time, the time in which we live, that we, are, we become so individualistic, we really don't welcome feedback. We don't want anyone saying, uh, you, you've done wrong. Most quoted verse in the Bible. Don't judge someone just because they sin differently than you. Well, you know, that, that's a great quote. I would even say I like that. But it is not what Jesus taught because it's reducing sin to the level of preference. It's kind of relativizing everything. No one's perfect. Leave me alone. you got to read between the lines. When you judge another, you don't define them. You define yourself. I think that one is very true and very challenging for me. The things that the times when I make a comment, I approve of something or disapprove, often does show the observer more about what's in Douglas's heart than what's in reality. Yet, there's more to what Jesus taught on judging than just cautions like this. Now, here's a Scottish proverb. I've been to Scotland a number of times. I've never heard a Scotsman say this proverb, but I'll read it to you anyway. (laughs) Don't judge by appearances. Okay, a rich heart may be under a poor coat. All right a rich heart under a poor coat. Good, I get that. But that's Jesus wasn't telling us don't ever say anything, don't ever challenge anybody, don't even don't stand take a stand for right and wrong. And it's just so easy to eat to uh, pluck to twist to chop or just to ignore, especially if we isolate just some words of Jesus Christ. And if you do that, you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. Oh happy day Oh, happy day. Okay. <laughs> the, context, the context, it's my fault. It was, should have been PPTX. I made it PDF. Okay. Context. There's a phrase. It's a clause too, but okay, don't judge or, or judge not. Although that's not even the whole verse. Don't judge so that you will not be judged. Now, is he saying, if I don't judge, then judgment day be okay, God won't even judge me the last day if I keep my opinion to myself? No, that's not what he's saying you got to do better than that. You've got to look at the whole paragraph in which it is situated. And that's normally how you find out what a Bible passage means. It's not from a verse. It's from a paragraph. And so let's read our text, and then I would share a few more comments, which I hope would be useful. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For by the standard you judge, you will be judged. The measure you use will be the measure you receive. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? Fail to see the beam of wood in your own? Hmm. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove that speck from your eye while there's a beam in your own? You hypocrite. First, remove the beam from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, that's the immediate context of the text, If you look at the text without a context, usually you just end up confused or wrong, and it's just an excuse, a pretext. And in fact, this is what has been done. See, people don't really like the idea, wow, I've got to work on myself and and, and deal with my issue, and then I help my brother with his issue. No, I think I'll just, uh, just stay with verse one, although even then it's not even verse one, it's only half of verse one. Do you see what I'm saying? This is what our society has done, and sadly, majority of churches in our country where we live have taken the lead from the world. And this is either what they've stated or what they've implied. Judge not, you know, just leave me alone. Now, in case this was confusing, I don't think it will be, but you could say there are two steps. You deal with yourself, you deal with others. He's not saying don't help other people any more than he's saying it's fine to leave the speck in your eye. I could end the sermon right there. You would have got something. But I'm not sure it does justice to the richness and to the insight of the scripture itself. We need to do a little bit more work. So there's a phrase, there's a sentence, there's a paragraph. Of course, there's a whole chapter. And I've spent many hours preparing today's message. And when I realized how The rest of the chapter connects to this passage. I was just overflowing with material. It's like three sermons or four. So at one point I said, whoa, just stick with the paragraph. But I'm telling you, it all fits together really well. There is one more verse, which sometimes is included in this paragraph, sometimes not, but I think it's good to read it. And I think you'll see how this connects to what Jesus said about judging. He said, Don't give what is holy to dogs or throw your pearls before pigs. Otherwise, they'll trample them under your feet and turn around and tear you to pieces. Jesus says something similar three chapters later. When you share the gospel, you're looking for someone who is receptive. Don't kill yourself or kill the other person, the person who's not interested. Search for the worthy person. Whoa. You mean some people are dogs and pigs? Well, sorry, does that seem judgmental? Jesus actually says we must make such a judgment. Otherwise, we'll be spending our time trying to influence those who do not have ears to hear, those for whom we'll actually be pushing further away from the kingdom, even if we are telling the truth, even if we did it in a non judgmental way dogs and pigs. The last verse of 2 Peter 2 is another instance where where dogs and pigs this time are not outsiders. He's referring to those who became Christians and then uh, went in a very bad direction. Now, the reason I'm, I'm parking on this one verse a little bit is that I know it's offensive. We like to believe in our modern, enlightened society, no one's really a dog or pig. I mean, if you knew their circumstances, how hard it was to grow up in that family, the tough breaks the guys had, then you could justify it. Any wrong, it's not really wrong, that's just your interpretation of wrong. Any crime is not crime, it's a manifestation of maybe insecurity or sickness. Sin doesn't require punishment, no, undesirable behaviors require empathy and perhaps counseling at $185 an hour. See, our society doesn't believe in right and wrong anymore. I think this is a naive view, a Pollyannish view, that really everyone, if you get to know them, is really a swell person. The Bible doesn't take such a a view of things. The Bible is actually realistic. The Bible shows that there are really good and evil in the world. And some people are extremely taken in with the evil, just as some people, despite all odds, are living righteously. Our real world is not a world of flavors and preferences. It's a world of right and wrong, the rough contours of reality. Because if we humans can be so badly behaved that Jesus' metaphors of swinehood and doghood are apt and apply to us, If that's the world we live in, wow, that calls for a different lifestyle among Christians. If everyone's pretty much okay, then just don't judge them and just hope your neighbor will make it at the judgment day. But if the world is as messed up as you've seen and as the Bible says, that has implications. You don't want someone judging you and poking around and shining light in that area where, you know, you'd be very embarrassed if someone caught you. So we have kind of, we try to keep people at arm's length. And sometimes when we're saying don't judge other people, we're not really concerned about the other people. We're concerned about this people. We're concerned about ourselves. So these, that, that, that's in the passage. That's our text. As I was preparing this, I started getting a heavier and heavier feeling. Like, what are the odds that this passage doesn't really apply to me? I know the view I had a bit simplistic as a younger Christian. When I, was, I became a Christian when I was in college. I thought, yeah, don't judge. You've got to deal with the speck. In your eye, the beam in your eye, then you can help your brother. Fortunately, I've done that. I became a Christian. I've been washed. I've been baptized. And I'm not living hypocritically. But everyone else is, and I need to go help them. Now, you know, even in that... That attitude, there's some truth. When you become a Christian, you, you have changed in many ways, but motivation, action, and it is time to get busy. It's always a good time to get busy with other people. But you know, like the opposite liberal uh, interpretation of the passage, this hyper-conservative interpretation really won't work because we're called to be like Jesus. And so, as I spent I don't know, this is probably the middle couple of hours I spent on this message. I was wondering what parts of me stand challenged and rebuked by by this text. Well, it did, it wasn't that hard, and I didn't just recall things that happened 40 years ago. Yeah, see, I shared personally. Look what I did decades ago. I think God's a little more concerned with our present life than our past life, Ezekiel 18. So what kind of people do we become? Well, to start with, we, we, we want to make uh, statements and have assurances and put on labels, you know, that people are saved or lost. And even if it looks like they could be saved, we want to, you know, we, we don't want that. We just assume they're lost. Or sometimes they are saved, but they just don't meet our approval, and we, so we say they're lost. So everything, and it's not that we're not saved or lost. It's only one or the other. It's like pregnancy. You are or you're not pregnant. But we can be a little too quick, too quick to speak, too slow to listen. In judgmentalism, we kind of expect everyone else to agree with our view, and we imply, I imply, not we, yes, we, but I'm talking about me now. I imply, intentionally or not, that others are somehow second-rate or stupid if they don't get the point. You could imply that by a tone or by words. Some of you are smiling. Some of you are nodding your heads. Some of you are looking at the person next to you. You should see what I see right now. This is true. The superior attitude, I'm part of the best church in town, or the only one, or the only true one, or whatever. There's no good outside these walls. Okay, really? Where do you spend most of your time? Well, mainly inside these walls. What about the 90% of your time when you're not in, you know, Christian activity? Why? Well, I kind of keep keep to myself. Well, no wonder you say that. We're not evangelistic enough to have the discretion to distinguish true prophets from fra- false ones. We can become critical, nitpicky and mean-spirited. We twist the scriptures. We get people to turn against us for our faith, and we call it persecution. And we say, yes, I'm just like Jesus in John 15, except that they don't hate you without cause. They hate you because you're obnoxious. <laughs> now, you're not really planning to change your behavior, so you call it persecution. It's not persecution. Uh, that's, that's not right at all, but this is what a judgmental person can do. So I have heard. I've read that in a book. No. <laughs> I saw that in a mirror. We don't work on ourselves, the spiritual disciplines. We want to correct others, but how hard are we really trying to just listen, to be still and know that God is God, to to meditate on the Word, to pray, to fast? I was in two minds whether to read this. My wife encouraged me to go for it, so let me read most of this. This guy was a commentator long ago, but I thought what he said, I found this after I'd written my message, I thought, let's add this in. We must judge ourselves, judge of our own acts, but not make our word a law to everybody. We must not judge rashly, nor pass judgment upon our brother without any ground. We must not make the worst of people. Here's a just reproof to those who quarrel with their brethren for small faults while they allow themselves in greater ones. Some sins are as motes. A mote is a speck, like a speck of dust. Some are like motes, others are like beams, some as a gnat, others as a camel. Not that there is any sin little. If it's a mote or a splinter, it's in the eye. If it's a gnat, it's in the throat, both are painful and dangerous and cannot be easy or well till they are got out. That which charity teaches us to call but a splinter in our brother's eye, true repentance and godly sorrow. teach us to call a beam in our own. It is as strange that a man can be in a sinful, miserable condition and not be aware of it, as that a man should have a beam in his eye and not consider it. But the God of this world blinds their minds. Here is a good rule for reprovers, first reform thyself." He said exactly what I said, except he said it elegantly. We work on ourselves, And then we work on others. You never finished working on yourself, and you're never finished engaging with others either. But the spirit in which we do this is crucial. It is crucial. Oh, happy day. (laughs) Could we manually advance that? I have power, but not that power. All I can do is highlight things. Can you not advance it for me? Then the sermon will just be an extra hour today. (laughs) I'll I'll find stuff to say. Notice I'm not blaming those guys. I wasn't saying, can you push the slides, stupid? You know, I'm not implying that. These techno gremlins get in all of our... Computers and phones and all that stuff, and it's not, it's not possible to just, like, push the down arrow. <laughs> okay. All right. Tell me whether this is going to work or not. It does affect the audience. It's not going to work. Okay. Uh, we, have, we had another um, eight or nine minutes. Some of the best stuff. Let's see if I can recall. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So some practicals. I, and I do have some practicals. We need to reconsider what judge not means. Um, when, when Vicky and I first moved to Sweden, liberal Sweden, in the 1980s, this was a huge need. And we, uh, we put together an article which was in our bulletin called Judge Not. At any rate, I hope you'll read this article, you'll see there's six or seven kinds of judging we are forbidden to undertake, and there are six or seven kinds of judgment Jesus says we must undertake. So, Judge Not is just hypocritical judging. That's just one of the forbidden varieties. Oh, wow. Okay, now we're going to have all kinds of feelings among me because Oh, yeah, some good stuff here, I told you. <laughs> but what I'll do, I'm going to go quickly, all right, because I, I do respect your time. What kind of people do you become? You become kind of like me on a bad day. We, we end up being self-focused. Our society self-indulgent, you know, gluttony. We become a, <clears throat> hmm, hmm. You know, when I became a Christian, I learned to think of the world in a different way. There's the world, and then there's the kingdom of God. You don't really have room to, to conceive of more than two worlds. What's happened today is, and I'm talking now to many of us in this room, you've got the real world where you have your job, or where you have to take tests and get in, turn in homework. But there, then there's the world, well, the world of, Dungeons and Dragons, or Halo, or whatever it is. And so the concept of another kingdom, where, where God is the king, there's no room for that. And that's part of our self-indulgence. Look at that, selfie indulgent. We lack spine. We lack backbone. No wonder we don't stand up straight. No wonder we're not upright. That requires spine. And then... The last thing is the kind of funny claim. Well, you know, I I wouldn't want to get involved with your church, or I wouldn't want to start sharing my faith because that would be hypocritical. It'd be hypocritical. Why? You know, know, because people are hypocritical, and I'm not really sure about it. So you want me to let you off because you wouldn't want to be hypocrite. You know this is the right thing to do, and you don't want to take a chance on doing it, so you want to excuse yourself with this flimsy excuse. If you really care about right and wrong, you don't do that kind of thing. You do some self-work, and you get busy, and you change. So that's what that person's like. Now the practicals. When you overhear a conversation, when someone says, judge not, say something. Take a stand. Secondly, develop strong personal devotional habits. Cannot be emphasized enough. Without time set aside for the Lord in that way, it will affect us and it will explain our effectiveness or lack of it. Deal with sin. Hypocrisy kills our joy. It also kills our credibility. It brings reproach on the gospel. Study out this vital theme. Matthew 7, build on the foundation of Jesus' words. Mark 7, not tradition. A heart needs to truly be in it. Luke 7, You may not see the miracle yourself, but you know God is working. Take him at his word. And John 7, interpret the word carefully. Stop judging by mere appearances, Jesus says, and make a right judgment. Judge not. What does it mean? Apply it. Live by it. And now we're going to have one more song. You guys have been a great audience. Thank you.